name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And I get the privilege of preaching this morning because our lovely senior pastors are enjoying a weekend away with family, getting a little bit of refreshment. Awesome. Um, so if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be digging into the Word this morning as we do every week at Crossroads. Um, we go to the Bible every week because we believe that we find life in the Bible and that this is the written, inspired Word of God, and that it has the power to change and transform our lives. So everything that we do at Crossroads comes straight out of the Word of God, and we operate holding this at its very high standard. Amen? Um, so if you have your Bible, awesome. I love a paper Bible. Uh, I probably say it every time I preach. And I was, like, I was really excited because I think it was last week, uh, or the week before, uh, Terry kind of hammered down on the phone Bibles. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I, I have this thing, like, I don't know if it's just me being, like, somewhat old school or uh, being an old man at heart. Like, I just love, um, I love technology. Don't get me wrong. I really do. But I just love the sometimes harder, more difficult way of life. Um, and the maybe... <laughs> the romantic way of going about and just reading right out of the Bible. I love that I can take notes in my Bible um, and highlight it, uh, and I love to be able to look back and have just a, a, a Bible that's been well-used and well-worn, uh, and I hope at the end of my life that my kids have to, when I die at a very old age, and I'm very grumpy when I die, um, <laughs> And, and they get to endure that, that when they also go cleaning out my house of all the belongings that I'll have, um, that they will have to go through boxes and boxes of Bibles that I have worn out um, and, and get to go through that. So that's just my hope. Um, part of the reason why I love the good old paper Bible versus the cell phone Bible. There's just something, I don't know, tangible about it. Uh, but we'll have it up on the screen if you didn't uh, bring a Bible with you. Um, and this morning, um, I want to talk to us about uh, the idea or the topic of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Um, and I've titled this message, The Fountain of Life. In Proverbs um, verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 27, it says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And my hope for this message is that as we walk away from today, we'll have a better understanding of the fountain of life that is wisdom and found in the fear of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be starting in 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at a guy named Solomon uh, who was king over Israel. That came up a little smaller than I thought. <laughs> awesome. All right, so um, this is why you should bring your Bible to church. You don't have to read it off the screen uh, when I type it in in small font. Uh, so 1 Kings chapter 3, 5 through 15, it says, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God asked, or God said, Ask whatever you want uh, me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you, righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, 
You have made your servant king in the place of my father David, but I am only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will have never been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commandments as David your father did, I will give you a long life. And then Solomon awoke and realized it had been a dream. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Father, I just thank you for the word um, that you would want to speak to us, Father God. I pray, um, Lord, that you would just use me as a vessel to speak, Lord God, and that your, your word for each one of us would come through. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us individually what you have for us, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen. I, um, I love, love learning, and that might come to a shock to my parents. Um, and as mo- if, if you know me, as some of you do, uh, you probably know if, if you've been around me for any length of time that I have a lot of hobbies. Um, and I love hobbies. They're like the greatest thing in the world. Um, and, and they change frequently. Um, so right now, we'll say right now because this may be different in like six months or a year. We'll see. Um, right now, it's coffee. It's coffee. I love coffee. Um, more specifically, though, it's like craft coffee uh, and espresso, okay? I love espresso, and, and like any of us know, because we live in Washington and we're depressed all the time, um, <laughs> because it's never sunny and we don't get enough vitamin D, there's a coffee stand on every single corner, uh, not for the flavor of coffee, Okay, it's, it's for the caffeine to get us through the depressing day. Um, and so, but I love, I've grown to just love coffee over time, like the actual flavor of it, but uh, more so I'm uh, becoming in love with like how you can, I guess a little bit of the science in coffee and how you can produce and change the flavor of coffee depending on how you roast it and how you extract it and all of those things. So, being that it's a hobby of mine, when I get into some sort of, of hobby, I just, I mean, I, I dive in really hard, uh, like maybe unhealthy hard into hobbies to where I could spend hours and hours at my computer uh, when I'm supposed to be studying, um, <laughs> learning about coffee and learning about espresso and proper uh, brew ratios and extraction time, all these crazy things. Um, and I could just, I will zone in and I will learn, which like I said, might come to a, a shock to my parents because I was really poor in school. Um, but 
Uh, one thing that's really interesting, I'm just going to share some wealth of knowledge of coffee that just like is a little bit will, it's like you just never would have thought because you can get any sort of cup of coffee, like you just put coffee, you pour hot water on it and you have coffee, like you've made coffee, right? Uh, but I've, I've been fascinated recently with like this difference in, you can go to Starbucks or any, any stand and get a cup of coffee, but if you go to like a, a craft like really good cafe, you're going to get a whole different cup of coffee. It's, and, it, and there's like this art to it. And you see the people and they just have like, the, they take so much time and energy and they're so like perfect about uh, wanting to make sure that their shot of espresso runs perfectly. And then when it comes out, they're, they're foaming the milk to the, the perfect texture of milk, and then they so gracefully pour it, and at the end of it, they make this beautiful-looking cup of coffee with a flower or a leaf in it, and you're like, what? what is happening? I thought coffee was just coffee, and so I'm like, I've wanted to know, how do you go from regular, like, Folgers, <laughs> black tar <laughs> coffee to this whole other scale of coffee, which, like, seems like this very fine art. Like, how do, you, how do you get there? And so I've watched a lot of YouTube uh, in trying to figure out coffee. And so this is what's mind-blowing, is like there's all these different uh, levels of precision measuring that goes into a good, solid cup of coffee. And, and it, it starts with, one, the coffee itself has to be, you measure out the grounds. Like, they take the grounds and they put them on a scale exact grams, okay? Perfect, fine measurement, exact grams. Then you take it, and it has to be compressed for espresso. It gets compressed, the grounds do, at a precise measurement of compression. Then it goes into a machine, okay? And it's where the extraction starts. And not only do you measure what comes out then, you actually, like, a, a really good coffee shop is going to measure how much the weight of coffee, and you would just think liquid's liquid, it weighs the same, right? It's a little different once it goes and it's extracted. So they measure the amount of volume of water going in and then the finished product at the bottom. And, they, and a very good coffee roaster will have that recipe. They say this much of coffee, it, this much water going in, and this much coming out is what is optimal so that you have the perfect balance taste of coffee. And there's all this um, now with, with machines that are measuring all of this. There's a, a new uh, machine that you can get at your house for like $4,000. <laughs> Hold on. I want to say for the technology of this machine, it's extremely inexpensive, okay? <laughs> I might be saving for one right now. I don't know. Uh, it has, it's all controlled by an Android tablet, Okay. And it measures and graphs for you the exact pressure that goes across the puck of coffee so that you can duplicate over and over again and replicate every shot of espresso to be the perfect shot so that when your customer gets it every single time, they get the right cup of coffee. It's amazing. Like the technology that we have. See, I said I like technology. Okay. I wasn't lying um, in that. But I've become to be a bit of a coffee snob, as you obviously can tell. Um, and so much that uh, my brother and I were talking on the phone. He lives in Switzerland, so coffee is a lot different in, in Europe 
Like the influence of Italian espresso is so much heavier over there. Uh, and so we were talking about like the coffee. My parents were just over there visiting the coffee at the truck stop uh, they, that they got, which was like a, uh, you don't just order like a, you know, a 20-ounce latte at a truck stop in Italy out of a vending machine. At a truck stop in Italy, you get a cafe latte, which is only like eight ounces, and it's poured with perfect latte art, and they hand it over to you over the bar. In a real, in a real cup. Yeah, there's no to-go cups in Italy anywhere, probably. I don't know that for sure, though. <laughs> Just making stuff up. Um, but I love learning. My brother referenced that Starbucks, this is, this is like, it blew my mind yesterday. I'm like, oh, so true. That Starbucks is for coffee what Taco Bell is for Mexican food. <laughs> so if you think like if you're going to compare Mexican f- good Mexican food and at a Taco Bell standard, it's garbage, right? Yeah, so that's why like... I will go to Starbucks only because I know the exact thing I'm going to get in my cup. It's the same every time uh, because of just the way that they train their employees. I know that it's going to be the same mediocre cup of coffee. Um, But like I've said, I've spent too much time, as you can tell, half the sermon's been about coffee, um, learning about coffee. And I've I've learned over time as I've gotten older, I really love learning. I love gaining more wisdom and, and more knowledge. And um, as we dig into the Bible, that's where we're going to be today, is talking about wisdom and knowledge and how do we obtain what is uh, biblical wisdom. And so real quick, we're going to dive in and just brief go over uh, some scriptures and Proverbs uh, penned by uh, that same guy, Solomon, that we just looked at. Um, and what he really, what biblical wisdom looks like. What does the Bible say about wisdom? What is Solomon, who's said to be the wisest man to ever live and that will have ever lived, what does he say? What does the Lord say about wisdom? So in Proverbs 3, uh, 13 through 8, um, it says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, all her paths are peace. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Psalms 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding, and praise, His praise endures forever. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So there starts to become this common thread that, that, you, that you see in that, this link between the fear of the Lord and wisdom, that all through Scripture you will see this common thread that when you fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that from the fear of the Lord you gain um, wisdom. And so 
we could honestly, as we talk about wisdom, we could spend weeks digging into biblical wisdom. And we have one Sunday today, and we're going to try to dig down and hopefully hit as good of a core of sample of biblical wisdom as we can this morning. Um, And like I said earlier, I hated high school um, with a passion. Um, And I can tell you this, I graduated with the odds severely stacked against me. Um, I shouldn't have graduated high school. Um, I had a few good teachers, though, and one of them stands out as a great teacher. Uh, And his name is Brian Stretch, um, and he still is the automotive instructor at North Thurston High School in Olympia. Um, And I can safely tell you um, that if it had not been for his automotive program at North Thurston, I probably wouldn't be the same man that I am today. Like that, a good instructor, a good teacher shapes the rest of your life. Um, And a a good teacher isn't concerned uh, about grades or the test, but they're just filled with passion uh, for their craft, and, and they, their goal is to inspire the passion of the people around them, to inspire the passion of those that they teach. And they're just in love with the experience of learning and teaching others. And I believe that this is a quality that we find in God the Father, if we look back into the Garden of Eden. And we're going to read in Genesis 2, and it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made a spring, uh, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and, and God gives Adam a command. So he, he puts him in the garden. He gives him a command to work and to till the garden. And he gives him responsibility over the garden. And in order to do the job that God had commanded Adam to do, he couldn't do it without wisdom. He couldn't do it without knowledge. And I don't think Adam was put into the earth uh, have any of you guys seen The Matrix? It's an old movie, but not that old. Okay. It's, it's old enough that if I talk about it in youth group, the kids are like, huh? Who's Keanu Reeves? Just kidding. John Wick, everybody. That's who Keanu Reeves is. If you remember in The Matrix, right, um, he has, there's this ability in The Matrix that he has the, the whole world of knowledge at his fingertips, and it can just be uploaded into him at a split second, okay? So there's this moment where he's, he's running out, and there's a helicopter, and he doesn't, he's never flown a helicopter because he's just an average guy, and all of a sudden, he's like, I need to know how to fly the helicopter, and they upload, and now he becomes the world's just like most bad-of-the-bone helicopter pilot, right? Or he can dodge bullets because of just that split second I don't believe that Adam was put into the garden with, boom, you have all of the knowledge in the world, all of the wisdom. Obviously, that's not the case because we see his look for wisdom and guidance from a tree. And so to operate, he had to know what was good and what was bad. And if you read in that, in that scripture that we just read, the knowledge of good and evil 
In, in the original Hebrew language, it, the, the words there are tov and ra. That's good and, and bad. Our, our word uh, evil isn't very well translated into Hebrew. Uh, it really, that, that word ra is just more so, it's just bad. It wasn't so much this like he had to know what was evil, but what was the difference between good and bad? When he, when he had a, a, a plant that was coming up, he had to know when it was good to pluck up the plant, when it was good for food, uh, or when it was bad. I don't know if you've ever gardened, uh, but if you let things go to seed, most of the time they, they turn gross. They get really bitter. They don't taste good at that moment, and they're not good. They're not, it's not necessarily evil, but it's not good. And we have this job that Adam's given, and he has to know what's good versus what's bad. And he has the same choice that I believe that each one of us have within our lives. And he can gain that knowledge and that wisdom from the ultimate teacher in the garden, from God the Father, or he can shortcut it and he can eat of the knowledge of good and bad. God is the ultimate teacher. That's our first takeaway point that I want to make today. God is the, the ultimate authority, the ultimate teacher of wisdom. In James uh, 1.5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, who gives generously without repro- reproach, and it will be given to him. Adam, I believe, is placed in like the ultimate learning scenario, wisdom scenario. He has God the Father, all-knowing God, at his disposal. It talks about God coming into the garden at the cool of the day on his like mid-afternoon stroll, evening stroll. I wonder what it was like for Adam who got to experience walking with God in the cool part of the day. It kind of reminds me, and it takes me back to uh, one of my favorite movies, which is A River Runs Through It. Um, And if you've seen that movie, uh, it'll make you want to fly fish and live in Montana. Um, But also, uh, it's these these two boys who grew up, and their dad's a, a Presbyterian minister. And after his Sunday sermons, he takes his boys on walks. And he teaches them about life. And I imagine that that's a lot of what the garden might have looked like pre-sin. Was that in the cool part of the day, God the Father is down with Adam and he's walking through the garden and he's teaching him about the plants. And it reminds me of the, the hikes and the things that we used to do as kids. And, and my, my dad growing up would take us out on hikes and he would we would stop at certain places and he would talk to us about the different types of trees or the bushes or the berries that were good to eat versus the berries that were bad to eat. And he had what I felt like was just this huge wealth of knowledge about the world. And we had the opportunity as young boys to just soak that up and to be and to learn. And that's what Adam had with God, the father, the ultimate source of wisdom and then God brings him, I love this, this point, 
God brings Adam like into the creation process. He's created all of the mammals, all the animals, and, and he brings them all before Adam. So he, he's created them and he said, these are good. He created, this is good. And then he says, hey, Adam, come with me. Join with me. Help me in this process of naming the animals. And he gives them responsibility. So he, he gives them an example. He says, here's good. Now come with me. And that's what any good teacher does is they, they bring someone alongside him and they just teach and they instruct. And it's not about a, a grade at the end of it, but it's just about let me pour into you what I know. And Adam's in that, that perfect scenario of he has, why would you ever want to learn and to gain wisdom another way from a father who just wants to pour out everything he knows to his son? Wisdom comes when we walk with God. And simply put, the fear of the Lord, and that's where we're going to move into, the fear of the Lord, right? It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I believe that the, the fear of the Lord, if we break it all the way down, is simply this, it's trust. Is that to fear God is to trust God. Second takeaway point, to fear God is to trust in God. It's a surrender of will and it's a surrender of trust. I think a lot of us maybe get hung up when we hear the fear of the Lord because we look through it through whatever uh, jaded experiences that we've had of what fear is. That we tremble and we're afraid for our well-being. That fight or flight type moment or, or maybe you've grown up in an abusive home, and so you, you think the fear of a father looks like abuse or looks like that. But the fear of God is simply to just trust God. And as we look at Solomon, um, someone who's said to achieve and receive wisdom, I, I think we can gain some greater understanding of what it really meant, what it really means for us to fear the Lord. Um, and we're going to go back to 1 Kings chapter 3. It says, now, and this is Solomon's response, now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant here is among the people you've chosen, a great people to numerous account. So give your servant your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And I love this uh, because Solomon says, I am only but a child. This, though, is wisdom. Solomon's like 20 years old, early 20s, okay, when he takes the throne from David. And I don't know if you've ever met an early 20-year-old. But they're, they are not only a child. They are a full-fledged adult, and they know how to rule and govern better than anybody else. That's like any 20-year-old, right? Uh, I at least know when I was 20 years old. Or like you just look on Facebook today, and all the 20-something-year-olds uh, know how to uh, rule a nation or, or whatever. They know way more wisdom than anybody who has walked it out beforehand. And, and I'm learning, um, I actually had a, a, 
a good friend once say who had raised boys, he said there's, there's like three parts um, to a boy in, in the growing up period. When he's little and he's young, he looks at dad, right? And dad is a superhero, okay? Just is in love with dad. Dad knows everything. Dad is super strong. Um, all of those things, just this reverence for dad, okay? And then come teenage years and early 20 years, Dad doesn't know squat anymore. <laughs> Nothing. I know better than dad. That's like the 20-year-old the man. That's who Solomon should be right now. I, I know it all. He should get into this kingdom and be like, the kingdom is mine. It's all mine. I know how to run this. I want all the riches, all the glory. But he says, I'm but a child. Okay? And somewhere around like 25, when uh, bills start to happen, uh, and things like that. A uh, little boy normally goes running back to dad and goes, oh, maybe you've done things right. I should take some advice from you now. Um, I at least have found that true in my life. Right, dad? <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't know what I'm going through. Uh, okay. <laughs> but What's also interesting here is Solomon's words. He says to distinguish between right and wrong. That same Hebrew words that we talked about in the garden, tov and ra is what he's saying here, to distinguish between good and bad. He's recognizing his inability to know on his own what is good from bad, and he's saying, I need the wisdom of the Lord to do this. I need the wisdom of the Lord to govern justly. Trust in the Lord starts with humility. And I love the way that Solomon approaches humbly before the throne of God. I'm just a child. I'm nothing in this scenario. I have no wisdom. Lord, would you just pour it out? Help me because you know good from bad. The fear of the Lord is recognizing our inadequacy in comparison to his adequacy. The fear of the Lord is recognizing our inadequacy in comparison to his adequacy. That's where it starts, is putting trust in God and saying, I'm inadequate. I cannot do this on my own, but I trust that you can. Godly wisdom is our last point here. Godly wisdom, but don't think I'm wrapping up. I'm a good pastor. <laughs> Godly wisdom acts for justice rather than selfish gain or selfish motive. Godly wisdom will always act for justice. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They didn't act for what was right, but what they perceived would be good for themselves a taste of something that they thought was good. But its motives were to gratify themselves. They believed the lie that they might know better than God for what was good for them. Solomon came with a heart for justice for his people, not for fame or fortune, but for humility and justice. And right after this, and I'm not going to go read the whole thing, um, but right after this moment where God grants Solomon wisdom, 
his wisdom gets, gets tested. And there's these two prostitutes, and they live together, uh, and they just happen to have babies like within a week of each other. And one of the babies dies, okay? And so the lady whose baby died went and snatched the other, swapped the babies, okay? In the middle of the night, swaps the babies. The other one wakes up to a dead baby and then discovers like, that's not mine, but she has my baby, okay? So they come before Solomon. Obviously, there's this big dispute because somebody stole a baby, okay? And so they come before the king and they say, can you f- solve, solve the riddle, solve the issue? So Solomon listens to him, uh, and this is what he says. In verse 24, it said, then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword to the king, and then he gave an order, cut the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. It's pretty insane. Seems wise. I don't know. Um, but the other, uh, the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of her love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby and don't kill him. But the other one said, neither I nor you shall have him, cut him in two. And then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby um, to the first woman, do not kill him, she is the mother. And when Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God and was to administer justice. The goal of godly wisdom is for justice. And I want to begin to to close with this thought. Begin to close uh, with this thought. We all have this choice in life. And it's either to walk with Jesus in the cool part of the day, to trust in his plans and to rest in his presence or to seek and to find wisdom on our own, to seek what is right in our own heart. We all have that choice. It's standing at the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do we choose to put our trust in the wisdom that God has, or do we choose to do what is right in our own eyes? And we see similar to this in the story of the prodigal son. And it's this son who decided what was right in his own eyes. And I think we've probably all heard this story, or most of us have, so I'm not going to read it, but I'll summarize it. This son who has a birthright decides that he's done playing by daddy's rules. He's probably 20-something, be my guess. He's done playing by daddy's rules. He wants his money, says, dad, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance and send me on my way because I know what's right. I know what's good for me. So he takes his money and he goes off and squanders it on wild living and prostitutes and whatever you could possibly come up with is probably what this guy's been doing. And so he gets to this point. He's, he has tried his own path over and over and over again. And he gets to this point. He's practically dead. 
He's starving to death in a pig pen, which context of the day would have been the lowest place this Jewish boy could have ever been is eating with the unclean pigs. He's at the lowest of lows and he recognizes, maybe I was wrong. Dad might know a thing or two. Maybe at least I could be a servant in my father's house. So he goes running back on his quest and then his dad meets him and sees him. His dad's waiting and he sees him afar off. The Bible says that his dad picks up his cloak and starts running, which would have been humiliating back in the day. Girds himself and he starts running for his son. Sees him a long way off and he meets him. And his son goes on this big thing, I don't deserve anything. And his father goes, you are my son, you deserve everything. There's nothing you could do to, to earn it or to deserve it, but because you are mine, it's yours. The word says that we are dead in our trespasses. While we were still sinners, while we were dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us. We can try to seek wisdom on our own. We can do whatever we, we so want to. But at the end of the day, Christ still died for us. And that even when Adam and Eve stood at the tree with a choice to make and they chose the wrong choice, God didn't stop there. He comes down from heaven into a really crummy, crummy world to die a really painful death so that you and I could still have a place to walk in the garden in the cool part of the day. And I love this other part because I think some of us maybe have gone that road. Been the story of the prodigal son who's returned home. But there's two kids in that story, the older son. And he's been there the whole time with his dad. He's been around. He's allowed the wisdom. And and the son returns home, the younger brother, and as any older brother would do, he's like, this guy, the little, little brother, right? Returns home. He doesn't deserve anything. I've been here. I've worked my tail off for this. I've been with you the whole time. And the father says to him, you've been here. Everything that I have is yours. You've been in my presence. And I think what's somewhat telling of that story is that we can do what we've thought was right. We made all the good choices. We've been a morally outstanding, great person. We've done it all. We've earned it on our own, but we've missed the mark because we chose what was still right in our eyes versus resting in the wisdom and the trust of the Father. And there's that moment where he says, it's not about you earning and deserving relationship with God. That's not where wisdom comes from, you earning it. It's a surrender of will. It's a trust. 
That is the fear of the Lord. It's not that I have to, to bust my butt on a farm all day long to earn the will of my Father. It's that the proximity in walking with Jesus and the surrender of will is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? Micah 6.8 says this. Remember, it's our inadequacy compared to his adequacy. And it's that we might see justice in every circumstance and walk in wisdom. And Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the word that you've given us this morning, Father God. Lord, that as we seek you first, Lord God, all the rest will be added. Lord, I pray that we would rest in your presence, Lord God that we would rest in your ability rather than our inability, Lord God. Lord, that we wouldn't try to earn it or deserve it, Father God, but we would rest in your presence just like a child who walks with daddy and gets to learn everything, Father God. I pray that that would be our heart as we leave this, this place this morning, Father God, would be to walk every day in the cool part of the garden, in the cool part of the day with God our Father, Lord God, putting all of our trust in you, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand, Lord.